Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. It really is lovely to see you all. And uh, though I will not be able to see you chortling heavily at my uh, remarks and jokes, I can nevertheless see your body movements, which is a whole load better than uh, a sea of chairs and nothing else. Thank you for being here in the building, and thank you to you who are logging in. It's lovely to have you uh, connecting with us this morning. Now, it turns out, I'm afraid, that Jesus probably wasn't born in a stable. Jesus probably wasn't born in a stable. You see, while I have joined in the annual tradition of imagining baby Jesus rather like I imagine you have, resting in an animal feeding shack, for the last six or seven years, I have also seen a favorite blogger of mine, Ian Paul, observing his tradition of reposting an article on this subject. And every year, he writes and argues persuasively that according to the Bible, Jesus probably wasn't born in a stable. Apparently the word translated in probably isn't an inn in the public guest house kind of sense of the word. It's probably more likely a private guest room that any returning members of the family might expect to occupy when they came to visit. And so Mary and Joseph uh, sadly didn't have the hotel door shut in their faces. They probably just joined the rest of the family in the single other room of the house. And the point about the manger, the reason there was a manger there is because that room probably also served as the place for the animals to be placed during the night to take shelter. And so there was a manger, but not a stable. Sorry. Now, I'll be honest with you, it has taken me seven years of reading that article to pluck up the courage to share my findings with any congregation. And... Frankly, I'm not sure I'm even ready to part with my dearly held notions of stables and grumpy innkeepers from an emotional point of view. And if you feel like I've just knocked the stuffing out of your Christmas turkey, let me assure you, you may continue with your stable in mind. I promise not to mention it again until next year. The reason I begin there is not to put a bomb under the stable. It's actually to make a different point. The point that for all its familiarity, it's quite possible to see Christmas not quite right. Even though we've heard it a thousand times, perhaps even because we've heard it thousands of times, we can miss things, even mistake them. And that's why we're heading 
in the coming weeks uh, on a deep dive into the opening chapter of the fourth account of Jesus' life in the Bible, the Gospel of John. Because here was someone who was determined to present a different account of the beginnings of Jesus' life. Now, John's Gospel was written last, probably in the 90s AD, and it's very likely that John knew of the other Gospels. Perhaps he even had some extracts to hand as he was composing his. And I like to imagine him spreading out uh, those uh, extracts on the table before him as he pondered how to begin. What does he say to himself? Well, he thinks, I I could just jump over the baby stuff, couldn't I? I could just start with Jesus' teaching and healing. One day Jesus said to a man, a punchy intro, straight in, no Bethlehem, no angels, no Marys, no mangers. But that was good old Mark's style. Then again, good old Mark was always in a bit of a rush, wasn't he? And I've got a bit more time, so let's not do that. How about... One day in Bethlehem. No, but that's been done. Matthew and Luke, they took Mark's stuff, but they added on some important stuff of their own. Uh, all that wonderful birth narrative, all the drama around that, the sense of expectation. No, it needs to be different. How do I start my account of Jesus' life? How about a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? It's good. Better leave that for someone else, though. I know. I know where I'm going to start. In the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And so John pens this totally new introduction to Jesus' life. One that you'd struggle, frankly, to paint onto a Christmas card. But one that makes us grasp in a whole new way the magnitude of what is going on as this word or Jesus as we later understand him to be enters the world and I'm praying that in the coming weeks through John's eyes we too are going to catch new amazing new glimpses of this saviour who is born for ourselves and that begins with today three big themes creation revelation and incarnation Number one, creation. In the beginning was the word, writes John, because he wants us to grasp, as we have already thought a little bit this morning, how Jesus brings creation. One of the great privileges of coming to join you here as your vicar is that I've got to meet loads of people and I've been able to hear the amazing power of God at work in your lives. Mercifully, however, no one has as yet felt it necessary by way of introduction to wax lyrical about their prehistory, uh, about their family trees or ancestral traditions. If you need to do that when you come to see me, that's fine. I won't judge you. But notice how John is not content even to start there. He wants to go much further back than Jesus' ancestry. In fact, it's quite mind-boggling where he goes. In the beginning, he says. I mean, what even is the beginning? And we all know what the beginning and end of things that begin and end is, right? But what is the beginning? 
Our minds are so ridiculously far from understanding that, that if at any point we thought we had grasped when or what the beginning is, we would then also be able to imagine a moment that came before it, at which point, of course, our understanding would yet again go up in smoke. But that's somehow where we need to go, where Jesus comes in. He comes in at the beginning. In fact, it says in the beginning he already is. There was never a time when he was not, as the great theological Athanasius put it. You have to say that quite a lot of times to work out what it actually means. And Jesus, in this beginning, was not just hanging around. Every created thing has not just the fingerprints of an abstract God on it. It is made by Jesus. Verse 3 of John chapter 1, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Times carried the headline this week about a new computer developed by Google that can help us to understand the proteins that power the processes of life. And it is apparently a once in a generation discovery. The headline reads as follows Deep Mind Computer Solves New Puzzle colon, Life. And it's a catchy title. But it's not quite true. There is no doubt a great deal about the puzzle of life that this deep mind computer and indeed all science can reveal. But it is beyond the realm of science to explain why there is something rather than nothing. That puzzle, John says, requires a piece called Jesus. And just in case we weren't fully clear on this, notice how deliberately John has started this account. He starts with the very same words that begin the whole Bible. If you've got a Bible, or if you've got it in memory, think how it begins. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's just like if I start a story, uh, something like once upon a time, you know you're going to expect a, a fairy tale. And so in the same way, Jesus, uh, John begins his account of Jesus' life in the beginning because what he's about to tell is like a creation story. Now, we're going to say more to that next week. But for now, just notice how this creation stuff is everywhere in these verses. Listen out for all the echoes. John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And so it goes on. Beginning, word, making all things, light, life, creation, everywhere. And the word, Jesus, in the thick of it all. Jesus brings creation. I love that hymn. You may recognize it. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him, king of glory now. This the Father's pleasure that we call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. At his voice, creation sprang at once to sight. All the angel faces, all the hosts of light, thrones and dominations, stars upon their way, all the heavenly orders in their great array. And so it goes on. The first big theme bursting out of John's introduction here. The same little baby that we know in the manger 
from Matthew and Luke, it turns out, brings creation. And next, Jesus brings revelation. John writes again in verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Now, it's a, it's a pretty mysterious choice of vocabulary, particularly to our modern ears, isn't it? The word. And you have to actually read ahead in, in chapter 1 to work out what on earth the writer is talking about. What on earth, by the way, is a pun. What on earth. Yeah, yeah you, we're there, we're there. We're there in the building. Just like to say that. I'm sure you're there at home. Um, verse 15, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word became flesh. John's not just writing a, a, a riddle here that, okay, Jesus was the flesh, and so he's the word, so the word must be Jesus. What he's trying to say is Jesus is the word because of his role in revelation. Our words reveal. They reveal our character. It's, it's one of the amazing things about being human, isn't it, that we are able to speak to one another. And so all the depths of our identity, uh, our, our understanding, our history, our feelings can be shared And words also have been God's way of revealing himself. You go back again to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God speaks creation into being. Let there be light, he says, and it is. And again and again in the Old Testament, God connects again with his creation through words. He speaks to Moses, to the prophets, and they in turn declare, and it's written all over the Old Testament, hear the word of the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. Why? so that we would know God. But Jesus is the word of God. He's the one who crowns these centuries of words of God with a single ultimate word. And this one isn't just another voicemail, as it were. This is an interactive, a three-dimensional, personal word. The last word of God's revelation in a particular sense. This is God himself walking on the earth. And this is why I think, or one of the many reasons why, the Christian faith is such good news. We have, as a race, a history, millennia of philosophy, experience, history, trying to discern in the fog of time the meaning and purpose of our existence. Mostly, human beings have been convinced that there is some form of God or gods. But we've wondered, what is he like? Perhaps that's the question you're asking. Perhaps that's the question that friends are asking. What do I say to them? To that question, what is God like? How do I know? Well, God has answered that question. And I think Peter put it so beautifully. This is what God is like. God is like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Well, you need to read the whole of the scriptures to really get your head around that. But it means he's personal. He is a person. He he is loving, he is compassionate, he's holy, he's sacrificial, he's committed to everyone in his world, and much more. Everything that Jesus is, that is what God is like. So you and I may know what God is like. Not, let's be clear, because there's something special about our intellect, or because we've worked it out and we've got further than anyone else. But because God has stepped onto the earth. Now the application of that surely must be in the first instance, that we pay really close attention to Jesus. 
don't know how good you are at listening to words. I'm ashamed to say I'm not always a very good listener to words. Uh, if you ask my wife, you might discover that in particular. Uh, so she might say to me, you know, please, can you put the fish fingers on in, in half an hour so that when I get back with the kids that we have something to eat? And, and I'm capable of doing all the right things about that. So I will I, yes, I'll nod my head. I will repeat the sounds of the word fish fingers, half hour. Um, she perhaps even reminds me just before she goes out. But then it doesn't land. And, and then I hear the door going. And I go, oh, no, no, nothing for the children yet again for tea. Now, that's no good at all, is it? But what about in the case of God's word? Imagine if we didn't let God's revelation sink into us. Imagine if it was right there and we just thought, oh, no, I'll do something else. I'm too busy. If God has so intentionally communicated with us through Christ, should we not be longing? Are you not longing to know about him? Don't you just want to spend your life knowing Christ? That is how you can know God. The Apostle Paul stated his personal ambition. I want to know Christ. Is it yours? May that be ours as a church. Because that desire is the obvious end point of grasping that Jesus brings revelation. And by the way, just before we move on on this, I think there's a secondary point here about our expectations of the Bible. If it is God's intention to reveal himself supremely through Christ, it seems to me unimaginable that he has not left us some means of accessing Jesus. It would be a pretty massive creator fail to reveal himself through Jesus and for that to be available only during his lifetime. Now clearly not everything is easy to understand in the Bible, but I believe a real confidence in the Bible as a reliable witness to the Lord Jesus is so important. It's absolutely necessary part of engaging with God's revealing purposes to us. Jesus brings revelation. Creation, revelation, And finally, Jesus brings incarnation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, by the time we get to the end of the first verse, we're not so much in mysterious territory as, frankly, initially in plain contradictory territory. My children have just been learning about uh, prepositions. And I think John's primary school teacher would have had some serious questions about John's understanding of prepositions. Which is it, John? You cannot have it both ways. Was the word with God or was the word God? With or like the same thing? But to that, I think John's answer would have been yes. Yes. And the word was with God. And yes, the word was God. And in fact, primary school teacher, if you continue to read on with my 21 chapter magnum opus that follows, you will see how in every chapter I keep straining at this truth about God. As far as human words will allow. And I'm I'm sorry for going beyond the normal standards of human grammar and reason. But we're talking about God here. There is a father. There is a son. They are distinct. The two have been in intimate relationships since the beginning. 
Both are God, but there are not two gods. There is one God, God the Father, God the Son, and as he will later explain, God the Holy Spirit. The Word is God. Now, of course, if we put that together with verse 15 that we've already mentioned, the Word became flesh, you get the incarnation, the infleshing of God. The man, Jesus, is also God. Now, in a sense, saying that is not, is not saying much more than we've already said, but of course, it is an absolutely extraordinary claim. And it's clearly not the kind of thing that anyone should accept just because someone else said it. Perhaps you've got questions about that. How, how is that even the case, that Jesus is God? I think the best place for you to unlock that is start by reading the whole of the gospel. Take a shorter one if, you, if, you're, if you're up for it. Read the whole of John's gospel. Make sure you get to the other end in particular, the resurrection, where Jesus' amazing divine power is demonstrated. And we get a sense of in what sense he could possibly be divine. Perhaps you read it with a friend. Join our new uh, Christianity Explored course in the new year. Jesus brings, he is the incarnation. And that means in Jesus we have to do with God. When we read about Jesus in the scriptures, we are reading about someone who deserves our worship. I hope you've had a chance to get into our online advent calendar this year. It's a a great resource. You'll find it on our website. Uh, There's one that's more targeted at kids, which ties in nicely with the various illuminated windows on the church building. And there's one for adults as well. They work great together, too. Uh, on, on a good day, which is when it's not complete chaos, we find ourselves actually doing both around the breakfast table in our household. And in these first few days of Advent, you may have noticed, we've been making our way through these very verses here at the beginning of John's Gospel. And on Thursday, we came to this verse 3. And together with it, a song lifted right from the Scriptures, addressed to Jesus. The song goes like this. You were the Word in the beginning, one with God the Lord Most High. Now, what are we to do with that thought, we may wonder, that Jesus is our creating, self-revealing God? Well, the song gives us a pointer. Turn it to worship. Turn that thought to adoration of Jesus. As we realize Jesus was there in the beginning, as we realize he's come down into our world to make God known, look, there's lots in our lives that we might want to do as a result, but I think the first thing is worship. Declare what a beautiful name his is, Jesus. How truly nothing compares to him. How could it? He's God. And you know, I think that is exactly what the writer John would have wanted for us. We've started at the very beginning of his gospel. And I think it's no accident that he starts like this and ends in pretty much the same place. Almost the last thing that happens in his gospel is the encounter of Thomas with Jesus. You may remember it. Thomas, who at first didn't believe, then puts his hands in Jesus' side and says, my Lord and my God. So John starts with saying, Jesus is God. And he finishes with someone worshipping Jesus as God. And let me say, that is my prayer for each one of you this Christmas, that you would be drawn 
as I pray that I am drawn to, above all, in worship to the Lord. Worship that will change our hearts and worship that is just recognizing the things that are true. Let us be those who worship the incarnate God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a searing portrait of our Savior we have in these few verses of the Scriptures already. My Lord, this is not just a mind game to wrap our heads around it. It is a a reality. And so we pray that you would work in our hearts today. We pray that you would draw us into worship of this Jesus. We proclaim him our Lord and our God. Oh Lord, let that truth sink into our hearts and change us from the inside. We pray all this in his name, who was in the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon Podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.